Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are talking about what was alleged to be a partnership agreement. What are our facts? Right, we've got our appellant, we're in the Court of Appeal, who in about 2003 owned some property. Time passed and a few disputes arose about the property and that, sadly for the appellant, wasted away some of the appellant's money. We flash forward to about 2008, 2009, uh, which is not a great time to be short of money, as some of you will know. Uh, and that appellant gets into a bit of a rough position financially and has to reflect on what it's going to do with these properties. What it does do is enter into a written arrangement with a party who we'll refer to as the respondent for in the Court of Appeal. Okay? And the appellant and the respondent, forgive me, enter into a written agreement. And at the core of this written agreement is that the appellant owns the property, right? The ownership of the property is going to be really important to all the things the parties are going to go ahead and do, essentially develop it. A right? little bit more time passes and the mortgagee in possession of the property, um, due to the dire financial position of the appellant, actually ends up selling the property because the appellant itself cannot give good title. The purchaser of the property is the respondent, right? Is the other side, is the party that the, that the appellant entered into that agreement with. And in fact, the respondent bought that property with the sort of assistance and guidance and endorsement of the appellant. And there was a view that in future, look, even though we were buying the property from the mortgage or, uh, mortgagee in possession rather than the appellant, we'll get together and we'll make this development work somehow. That's not what happens, sadly. And what that means uh, is that uh, the respondent who has gone on and bought the property sells it and the development doesn't go ahead. The appellant sues. Mm -hmm. The appellant sues on a number of bases, but one of the fundamental bases it sues on is to say, hey, that agreement we entered into, that was a partnership agreement. And the way partnership law works is that you owed me some duties as partners in engaging in that sale, you breached those duties, and so you have to account to me for those breaches, that loss of opportunity damages, in the sum of about $6 million. Now remember we're in the Court of Appeal. At first instance, the judge at trial says no, there's no partnership there. And so what the appellant, <laughs> as its name suggests, goes ahead and does is appeal. And so uh, it appeals a large number of things. This is not merely a piece of partnership litigation. There's some misleading and deceptive conduct and, conduct and some other exciting stuff in there, but we're just talking partnership today. So the partnership appeal element is that, firstly, um, the agreement itself was a partnership agreement, or alternatively, it recorded an existing partnership agreement. And the two arguments for that were firstly the general tenor of the agreement, its tone, the sort of nature and character of it. And the second reason was that it included a profit share, right? a profit share term. And that's a really important part of, of partnership law because one of the things partners do, legally speaking, is share profits. So it says general tenor 
and sharing of profits, so it's a partnership agreement. What the Court of Appeal said was, no, that's not right, for essentially four broad reasons. So the Court of Appeal says, firstly, there's nothing in the agreement that records the respondent, remember, who has become the owner of the property, owning it as partners, which is to say owning it on its own behalf and on behalf of others. There's nothing in there suggesting that. There's nothing in the agreement suggesting anything about the liability of one partner for uh, the acts of a co-partner. And that liability between partners is one of the fundamental things about partnership law. Thirdly, this general tenor argument or the suggestion that the agreement said various things would happen for the project or be for the benefit of the project or whatever it may be. Well, all that was well and good, but those sorts of words were not themselves indicia of partnership. They did not of themselves indicate there was a partnership. And fourthly, the agreement went through a number of incarnations, a number of drafts, and an early draft was full of words like partner and partnership and the actual draft that was executed had had those words removed, reflecting what the court found to be uh, a common intention that the parties were not entering into a partnership agreement. So what did that mean for our appellant? It meant that our appellant's claim for breach of partnership duties failed because the parties were not, in fact, partners. I hope that uh, trip to the Court of Appeal was of value and assistance to you and I look forward to speaking again soon for another coffee. This is actually a cup of tea and a case note. Cheers.